Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. It's time to make mental health a normal conversation with your host, Shane Kelton. Uh, welcome back to the listeners. Uh, I've got another great guest on today. We've been pumping them out the last few weeks and had some great feedback. Um, today I've got another Adventure All-Stars cast member that I, I'm met online um, and haven't met in person yet. Um, Jack Simon, welcome. Thanks, Kels. It's good to be here. I think I reached out to you a while ago when we were first both announced and I think I bought a jumper off you and a hat. <laughs> you did? Yeah, you did, yeah, yes. It was long straight away. I lost that. I have lost the hat though and may have misplaced the jumper too, so I'll need to get, get some more. <laughs> I'll um well when we go away I'll I'll bring a I reckon I'll bring a second suitcase and yeah. um just have some clothes in there I probably won't let Matt know about that because he'll probably want <laughs> everyone to buy mindful of stuff but yeah um, well, that's, when, yeah. that's when we get to go away <laughs> yes yes hopefully and as the listeners probably um if you listen to Jasmine or Katrina's podcast we were meant to have gone away by the time this one's aired but due to COVID restrictions it's been delayed um unfortunately but um obviously the health of of Australia comes first and not our adventure trip so we will get there and um that that leads us on to oh and that was a great plug yes if anyone wants any clothing jump on the (laughs) website (laughs) there will be some new clothing coming out as well soon. So uh, jump on and support the podcast. But going to ask you first up question, because I don't know a lot about you, which the listeners might find a bit funny, but I really want to learn from you today. And you are, you're about to hopefully soon go on national TV um, on Adventure All-Stars and you raised in excess of $10,000 from one for Oz. Um, my first question is why? Why is it so important to you? I just, oh, for me, like mental health has just been something that I didn't really know much about when I was younger and well, not younger, probably since I was like 18. Um, and through those years, so I'm 26 now, um, probably experienced some things that probably are like, they would be classified as like mental health um, sort of issues. But um, it's just something that I've lived with and I'm just really passionate about being able to tell my story and hopefully someone else will be able to um, benefit from hearing that. And that's just the, the way that I see it. So yeah, yes. if I can help one person, it'd be great. And I'm sure you will. And if anyone listens to this and has found it really helpful, please send it in. Cause I do know Jack is very um, anxious and nervous about recording <laughs> this. Um, but I know the listeners will be in full support and I've got a couple of people who listen religiously who will be sitting in their cars or listening there on their walk going, you've got this, Jack, you've got this, Jack. Yeah. I genuinely yeah. know. And they probably will message me going, were you talking about me? Um, so before, before 18, yeah, you, you brought that age up. What did you know about mental health issues or mental health? Did you know anything Around that age, I, I really, like, didn't know anything really. Like, you'd, there'd be kids at school or, like, like fellow people, well, fellow classmates and things like that in your year level and just different year levels that you'd hear about how they're, like, dealing with mental health issues and stuff like that. But for me, I was always, like, a happy sort of go-lucky person involved in sport. And the only thing that I would probably experience would be just, like, that social anxiety. Um and it was just like it would be something that I'd notice, but I don't know if other people would notice. And then through those years, like when you're going out drinking and stuff like that, I'd just be like really uncomfortable in some situations. Like, and I'd be that person. I'd always have to have a drink in my hand. Like all those photos from those age group, that age group, when I like look back now, I'm that person. Like there's always a drink in my hand and things like that just to make me, like it would just make me feel comfortable. And then yeah. if I'd be having a conversation without one in my hand, I'd feel like awkward. Like I'd leave that, that group and I'd go um, and to the bar and get another one. So it's, it's just, uh, or yeah, go to me backpack and get one probably at that age group. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, or someone else's backpack. Yeah. Yeah. But that's um, something that's just like stayed with me like throughout those years. Um, but, yeah, the, the main thing when I was uh, 18, that sort of was the first uh, real instance that of 
I dealt with with mental health was not my own experience, but it was um, through someone else's. So we're all out one night and um, we just got a message in our group, message from one of our mates and uh, it pretty much was like a goodbye message. Yep. So we, me and one other person, like one of my mates, we were together and we, we just like split up and we just ran to places where we thought he could be. Yeah. And um, I found him like on the other side of a, like I didn't find him. He was, he was thankfully he was still alive. Um, and he was just like on the other side of a, of an overpass. Yeah. And um, I just sort of grabbed him through the rails and just held on to him. Um, it's just like just talking to him, reassuring him that everything was going to be all right. And then uh, a few other people came and stopped and we just sort of, we couldn't get him over the, the, the ledge. Yeah. But then the police came and um, they were just driving past and we were able to get him over that ledge and uh, he's, he's safe. Like he was safe and uh, now he's got two beautiful kids and a beautiful wife and um, yeah, it's just, that was the first thing for me that was like far out. Like people really do uh, live with these things. Yeah. Like, thanks for sharing. And, and yeah, like I honestly had tingles when I heard that like thing where he's got mm. kids now and stuff like it's just amazing to hear. And I hope people that are listening that might be feeling the way you, your mate did can see that there is something there like this this guy was literally thought he had probably had nothing and his life has dramatically changed in eight years nine years mm. yeah so, about that time uh, do you remember at that point in time how you felt and and do you remember do you remember what you said or because i think what you say in those moments because unfortunately it, it does happen where people find people in this situation and You've clearly said something that's contributed to saving his life. So, and I want to put that to you. Like, you genuinely probably saved this guy's life. Yeah, it's just um, like looking back on it now, it's one of those, I say it's one of those things, but it's just something that I've experienced. So, it's like um, in the moment, I can remember just saying to him, like, like we, like we all love you, like, um, like just things like that, just trying to, just to show him how loved he, he was and is. Um, yeah, that was the main thing. Just, um, I was just like holding on to him was just the main thing. I was just like, there was no way, no, I was going to let him go. Yeah. Um, and just, I think at that stage too, like not knowing anything about mental health, like it's a lot different to look back at now in hindsight um, and just know what he would have been experiencing and like, you just know that people who are in those mindsets, like they, they are stuck, like the, the barriers are up. And, but I think like all of my mates as well, and just like the, the whole community, probably that whole age group um, back then probably didn't know enough about these sort of things. So they'd look to it as if it was like someone just trying to bring attention to themselves and things like that, where like now it's just uh, completely different. Like it's, yeah, it's. I think everyone sort of learnt enough over the years now. There's um, that that's not the case. Yeah, and it's a really good point you make. Like, it, I remember when I was thirteen, we got brought into the form group, and we were told that a year twelve student had taken his life at home. And I remember walking home, and one of the girls said to me, um, "How selfish was that?" And I was like, I was already had suicidal thoughts at 13. So I'll just take, I took it personally instantly and thought that I was a loser and I was a failure and all that. And, but I think, and what you're trying to describe is now you understand when someone's in that frame of mind, they're, they're not thinking clearly. And, and it's, it's actually, they're not actually trying to be selfless in the act, um, which is, it's really bizarre for people to try and come to terms with. But if we take the emotion out of it, it they're trying to actually do it for everyone else. Mm. Um, they think they're doing it for everyone else. And and in those moments, you know, I'm so thankful that you and the other guys got there. And my other question to that is, and this, is, this might be off topic a little bit, but what were the police like in that situation when they, they came over? Because police get a pretty bad rap on occasions with, with situations that, and I think in situations like that, they just step up. So I'd be interested to know if they did then as well. Oh, I can't remember like really clearly like um, what the police were like. I remember 
like they were able to get him over the ledge and <clears throat> I remember that like my mate like he, he wasn't in a good state either so he probably didn't help himself in that way either like the way that he reacted at the time so um I think they like from memory I think they would have done a good job um or they had to take him with him and yeah the main thing was that he was safe so yeah and, and it, as I said earlier, it's just it's great to hear where he's come to now. You said this was like if your first sort of real awakening to mental illness, mental health issues. Did you sort of just sort of fall back into your old ways or did this start to open up your mind a little bit? Yeah, for me, I sort of just um, – and for like everyone, I think it sort of just got like pushed to the side a bit just because no one – no one knew anything about like what he would have been experiencing. So I think it all got pushed to the side and then I didn't really like think about like mental health with myself or anything like that. But it was not long after that, probably only four months or so later I left and like left the, my hometown of Warrigal and I joined the army and I was there for, I was in the army for three years and like throughout that time I'd, get pushed to do these courses like um obviously like showed something that i'd get pushed to do these like leadership courses and things like that but i would just like um i'd not want to do them and then i'd be sort of made to do them because you can't really say no (laughs) in the army so you can't really push back so i'd end up doing them and I'd, i'd pass them and everything but like i'd just have these there'd be times where I'd just be like really anxious about something because I was such like a junior. So this is probably my second or third year in the army. I was such like a junior like digger and I'd be doing courses where some people would be in the army for 10 years and not get the opportunity to do these courses. So um, I remember one time I was, it was like a junior leadership course um, for people listening who might have been in the army too, like JLC. It's one hell of a course. Um, <laughs> fun game, fun games for sure. But um, I just had to get up out the front of this whole class and or the whole, yeah, the class I'd say. But um, there was probably about 60 to 80 people in there and I was just like a jumble of words. Like it didn't make any sense. Like the story I told was ridiculous. Like but I was just trying to like fit in and feel comfortable within this peer group. Yeah. And um, I think the, the sergeant who was running it and he's, he sort of used me as an example and he's like, would you want that person to be leading you or would you prefer this other person? And I was just like, fire out. Like, I've really screwed this up here. But, like, I know within myself, like, through sport in the past and different things like that, that, like, I do show, like, leadership qualities and that. So it was a bit of a smack in the face. Um, and then that night or, like, a night after, I sort of went back into my room and like I'd just been made to do all these courses I didn't want to do. And I just, I really wanted like that, a winning feeling. Yeah. So like for me, that escape would be like to punt or like have a gamble. And I sort of went into my room and like, I put a ridiculous bet on, like it was on tennis. Like those were like a dollar 60 or something like, and then I lost and it was like big money, like a stupid amount. And then the next day went back to the course and, I was already feeling a bit more down about myself and I was just like, fire out, like, how the hell can I be this stupid? Like, why did I do this? And then had a, like, not a bad day, but like the, like the day before where I was out in front of this class, but I was like, all right, time to get this money back. So the next night, same thing, like, same, like, similar odds. I was like, I'll just win my money back, sixty tennis. Like, the odds know that, like, I can't lose two of these in a row. <laughs> Same again, lost. And I was like, fire out. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, and then um, got to the end of the week and it was this, like, same thing. I'd lost a stupid amount of money, like, in excess of a few thousand dollars on these um, bets. And then I was like, right, I need to win this back. And I bagged for Hawthorne and Hawks were, I distinctively remember this. Hawks were playing Port over in. Um, Adelaide and the Hawks had just beat Adelaide a few weeks before yeah. over there and I was like far out I like I love the Hawks they're alright but they can't beat Port and it was back when they had this 1-24 to 
Like if yeah. they get up by 24 points at any time, you get your money back. So I think I'll put like a grand on Port paying probably like dollar eighty or something. And then they got up by 24 points and I think they only won by like a couple of points at one stage, but it was in the first quarter. And I remember sitting there, it was just like absolute relief that I'd kind of halved what I'd lost. Yeah. And I just looked at that as a win. And I was like, fire out, like, I got to stop doing this. <laughs> so that was, that was my next sort of thing, just like of finding myself in like this mindset where I just need to try to get some control back and just have a win. Like, yeah. What? I mean, I, there's so many sort of places I can go. I don't yeah. Know where to go, but, you know, what, why do you think now looking back, you went to gambling in that instance to, you know, cause you were going through anxiety and um, probably a bit of embarrassment and shame. And mm. there's a, probably a lot of uncomfortable emotions going on. Yeah, um, definitely. What, like looking back now, what were you trying to do by gambling? I think win. Like just, I know like just to get that control back, it was just, um, I just kept like, the feeling of like losing and losing and like I'd go into this course where like I'd want to succeed, but then I'd feel like I'm not up to the standard or things like that. So if, like that would be a loss to me. And I think with a sporting background too, like always being competitive in, and driven um, just to feel like I was losing was really hard. Yeah. And just, I think just to try to get some of that control back in my life, I'd turn to like betting. Was it was betting something he did prior to like being in there? Like it was yeah. just sort of, but it was more casual. It was more thing, casual thing, like controlled thing. Yeah, I wouldn't always say there was like heaps of control, but it was just like uh, it was just something that I did. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I didn't really money didn't really phase me as well. So yeah, <laughs> it can be very dangerous when yeah. you start to gamble and yeah. I mean, I'll ask you the question, would you prefer to go down the, how did the army route turn out or would you prefer to go to how the gambling route turn out or both? I'll go both. So with the gambling, like it's sort of like there's been plenty of times where I've just tried to win quick money, but I'd lose like off the top of my head. I could yeah, name a fair few occasions where I'd lost a lot of money, but like overall, like now, I can, like I do bet and like just on the footy, like $10 same game multis and things like yeah. that. And but it's just something that I, like I'm not like, driven to win in that. And I think yeah. that's because I've got other things in my life now where I'm like, if I do this, like I'll, I'll be rewarded in other ways. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a purpose and a passion to your life and a, a yeah. sense. So what, so what I'm gathering, you obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but the army made you feel, feel, I guess, really powerless and you wanted to regain some power in, somehow. Yeah, in that situation, yes. Like when, when I was at that point, like my army experiences were like, that one that I've just explained was probably one of the worst. But um, the people that I met throughout that time and like the um, what I learnt like through the army and the experiences I had, uh, mainly positive and like they made me grow up really quickly and like I'm really thankful and I'm glad I went there. And I think it's like even those negative experiences now I can look back on and be like, like they've sort of shaped who I am and yeah. um, sort of made me really sort of understand what other people can be going through. And so you've learned from all of this, which is, is fantastic. Like a lot of people will come out of those experiences and take the negatives and say they haven't learned anything. It sounds like you've done the opposite, which is brilliant. Like did the gambling spiral or, or did you, were you able to cut it off or was it someone else that said that realised or saw or what? I think what? Um, for me, like I never really like completely bottled these things up. Um, I'd always like say to someone, be like, fire, like you wouldn't believe what I've done. Like, and just being able to get it off my chest is just huge. But, um, yeah, so that was, that was towards the end of my army sort of career. But like I was based in Pakapanyul, so like near Seymour. 
and I live in Warrigal. So it was only like a two and a half hour drive, like to go to and from. Yeah. So it was just these times where I was away from this sort of area for an extended period of time is where, and I'd be forced to go away. So I'd be like, I could come to and from and I'd play footy on the weekends and things like that. And I think that was like a, something that like I really, really enjoyed being able to do. Like I'd still have that connection to my old self in yeah. a way. So I was kind of living like a double life there for a bit. Yeah. But towards the end of like my last year in the army, I was just getting really, like really drained. Um, and I was just like personal things, like being put on these courses and things like that. But like, I remember the drive, like some nights I'd be coming back and like, I'd, got, I'd start getting these like feelings and I'd just be like really tired after a long week of work. And then I'd be driving back like two and a half hours to where I live like to mum and dad's house and there's just like old sort of whiny roads and things like that. And I can, I can just remember like I just, there's this one tree that's sitting on a, like this corner. It's like a massive sweeping bend. And I'll just like think to myself, I was just like, oh, like fire out. Like I'm that tired. Like oh, I could just, it'd just be as if I fell asleep. Like, and yeah. like that's a thought that went through my head, but, I'd say that, and but I'd never say that I've been suicidal or anything like that. It's just like that thought like flickers through your mind. Yeah. And then it sort of got imprinted in my mind, like when I'd be driving home um, and I'd be fatigued and things like that. And I'd go past this bend and I'd just be like, fire out, like, or I'd just subconsciously know I'm like, oh, that's, it's coming up. Like that, this like yep. corner's coming up. And I'd just find myself like going around that corner, like I might not have thought about it. And then I'd just be like, huh, like it's, it's past. Like, yeah. And then other times it'd be like before I'd be coming up to it and I'd just like say to myself, like without even like thinking about it, I'd just be like, not today. And it's just like, but I'd, I never once like wanted to die, but those thoughts had come into my mind. Yeah. So I think in that as well, it's just like I really feel for people who are in positions where they have those thoughts frequently. Well, well, essentially, those thoughts are almost where it starts and people get really fearful of those thoughts and think they are real. So yeah. I think they have to act on those thoughts. They have to, these feelings that they're feeling, they have to act on these feelings and I think what you've done is you, you've associated yourself with that's the thought, but that's not what I want. And that's, that's just, so that's our mind. Our mind plays tricks on us. Our mind is, our mind is mischievous. That's, that's the way it is. And I guess I'm painting this picture for the listener who's going, but that's just weird. Like this guy doesn't want to die, but he's thinking about this. And our mind is mischievous. Like, I can guarantee you that nearly every person on the planet has some of the worst thoughts in their mind. Like, and we say some of the most stupid things without, and it's because it's it's all there, but we don't associate it to being just a thought or a feeling. Like, mm. it doesn't like we've just gone into another lockdown. Of course, we feel angry. Of course, we want to blame people, but essentially, that's just how we feel, and that's just the thoughts that are coming up our actions then don't need to match those. And that's what you've, it sounds like in this, in this period of time, you're able to associate what was a thought and what was reality. Yeah. <clears throat> and like, I knew that like I was coming home to see my family, see my mates the next day I'd be playing footy like or cricket or things like that. Like the support base that it, like, uh, which is my main support base was where I was going. So yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those things like that. I should stop saying it's one of those things, but <laughs> I, um, yeah, it's just a thought that I'd have and like I'd acknowledge, but I'm like, oh, it's, it, yeah, it's just, it was there, like, but I didn't want to act on it. So, have you, have you spoken to a professional about these thoughts that came up, or is it just something you've been able to manage yourself? It's just something I've been able to manage myself. Um, like I know I probably should speak to like a professional and things like that. It's just, um, yeah, I just, I never have, I've always just like let know what I need. Like, um, and exercise is pretty much that main one for me. 
Yeah, no, there's no right or wrong answer. I think if if it was to for, for people out there, if, if your thoughts were worse and you didn't have control of your thoughts, that's mm. essentially when you get help. And I think yeah. what what you probably have learned is that if these things do spiral, then you you get help. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, but but we have we do have the ability as human beings to change our own life without help if if we want and. Essentially, I'm a big believer in there's nothing actually wrong with life as long as you're not hurting someone else. Like, and and hurting someone else can come in many forms. So, because I oh, yeah, I'm still a big advocate for speaking up, which which it sounds like you do. You did yeah. gambling. Yeah, it was just like something like um, I've always been like really open about like a lot of these things, and like even back then I I would have like spoken to someone about it. Like it's not like I would bottle all of these things up. So like if I wasn't speaking to a professional, it's, I'd speak to someone. Like I wouldn't just like keep it on my chest. Um, yeah. So message, message to anyone listening, don't bottle things up. Yeah. When you bottle things up, it's like a volcano that erupts and comes out in so many different ways. Like your friend whose life you guys say, you know, that's that's the that's the volcano erupting in, in that way and it's not some an angry outburst it's a i want to want to take my own life outburst it's it's a final straw so is there anything else through the army i mean that you experienced that you, you know, struggled with or uh, that was pretty much the, the main thing and just like that um sort of social anxiety was there throughout like i'd be the gray man i'd be i'd pass all the um tests and things that I'd have to do, but I'd be seen and not heard sort of thing, just would keep to myself and just like put along. Um, and that's, that's just who I am. I'm a pretty quiet sort of person. So to be here and doing this is, yeah. It is outside. It is outside yeah, the comfort, comfort zone. Like I just, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, hopefully people understand that, you know, you are, yeah, this is testing your boundaries, but hopefully for you going forward, this this step and stepping outside the comfort zone will actually probably open up more doors for you and inspire. You know, you did say off air, and I'll repeat it basically in saying that you know there's people out there that may be struggling with some of the things that you struggle with, and you want to basically let them know that they're not alone in their battles. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it doesn't matter like who you are, like everyone's like on this mental health sort of, um, what's the, what's the word? Like the continuing uh, spectrum spectrum. Yeah. Like we're all sitting on it somewhere and for some people it's, yeah, it just gets to that point where you'd need to talk to someone about things and other people like they're just happy go lucky. Like, yeah. Yeah. What was it? So, I'm guessing there's more to the story of Jack that's to come after yeah. the army experience. So tell me, tell me more. Well, so when it got towards like the end of, I decided that I wanted to leave the army. Um, I was going to get posted to Brisbane on a three year posting. And so that just, yeah, that wasn't going to be for me where my main support was back down here, like in Gippsland. Um, and through just like everything that I had experienced, like being made to do courses and stuff that I didn't want to do, I'd be going to a, a different unit that I didn't particularly want to go to as well. So for me, it was just, um, I just wanted to change. I just wanted to do something different. So I think I found that sort of escape that I needed was through travel. Um, so I just, I'd put up, like gone to a, put in to do like a Kentucky um, and I booked all the flights and stuff for that. So for me, just, it would have been 2018. It was just a six months sort of traveling and just sort of learning more about myself. And I got to travel with friends and like family and yeah, it was just a really bloody good experience. So, but, um, so that was like the highs of um, like post the army. Yeah. And then came back and then 20, it would have been, 2019, I sort of just started just doing like labouring work around the area and then I just got back into a similar sort of thing. I'd play footy, get on the piss, um, just probably get on the piss again on a Sunday and then just wouldn't want to go to work on the Monday. Yeah. So there's probably a fair few Mondays of that year that 
I just didn't go. And then it just sort of kept going. I'd go the Tuesday to Friday, then probably work for a few weeks there. And then like a couple of weeks later, I'd miss another Monday just because I'd do the same thing. And it was just because yeah. I didn't have any drive. I didn't really see where I was going. Yeah. So I got to later in that year again, I, um, it was the same thing, just went and traveled. So that was just like a real escape for me. Yeah. And then, so I went back overseas for another three months, then came back again. And whilst I was overseas, this time I was in Southeast Asia, I, the people that I'd met, it was just like a, this common group because um, we're all traveling like a similar direction throughout Southeast Asia. And I just met these people and they were like both social workers, like the like two, two of the people that I'd travel with most were like um, social workers. And I could just have these like really in-depth conversations with them and they're just like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, just a, I'm a labourer. <laughs> like I was in the army, now I'm a labourer sort of thing. And they're just like, you should look into this sort of field. And I was like, yeah, like I'll look into it. And we'd go our separate ways and I'd see them again and be like, have you thought any more about it? And I was like, oh, yeah, look into it. So whilst I was over there, I ended up signing up for a, a certificate for in mental health um, through the free TAFE sort of program. And it just sort of gave me something to look forward to when I came back. So got back to Oz and before the Cert 4 started, I went and did a, um, a mental health first aid course. And that's where I met um, Jace and Matt Runnels. So, yeah, and that's from there, that's where sort of the, the passion for like mental health and trying to become like a bit of an advocate sort of started for me. I think I asked, uh, I was, I asked Jasmine this, would you, would you call yourself a bit of an old soul as well? You might've heard that part. Yeah, I did hear that part. Yeah. I think I would. I just, yeah, pretty old school in a lot of things. Um, Yeah. Just because that locked those in. Maybe not as an old soul as, um, as Jasmine, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's 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 very old soul, but like like that, it sounds like the, the Saturday Sunday drinking, and I'm only drawing from my experience, and I had some brilliant times doing that. I, I won't, don't get me wrong, but there was times where I, it was more fear of missing out, but also the social anxiety that was there, but it was also the fact that the conversations that people were having weren't the conversations I wanted to be having. Like, oh, I wanted those in-depth conversations. So it sounds like that's probably the old soul part where the connection for you and sitting down with someone having real conversations is is something that you prefer to do on a more consistent basis, I would say, because like, I'm not going to sit here and say that I don't drink or never drink again or, and you probably, I don't know about you, but like, but it's finding that balance of who we are. Yeah, I completely agree. And yeah, in that, like the old soul part, like I would, I'm a terrible dancer and I would, I would, you would not find me on a dance floor. You'd find me up the back of a bar somewhere or just like out in the smokers area. I don't even smoke, but you'd find me out there <laughs> and I'd just be like chewing someone's ear off, just just having like deep and meaningful conversations. That was that was just me. Like um yeah, I'd always be that person. So it's it's and it's I think it's you know what? There's so many guys I know who who do they drink Friday, Saturday, Sunday night and I see them there. When they get when they get into deep meaningful conversation, you can see how much it means to them. But there's hmm. this male stigma, to be honest, um, and female, but probably to a lesser degree, where these deep and meaningful conversations are not something we we look at and do because yeah. we're, we're in fear. We don't know how fear, but also people don't know how to do it. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, yeah. With like this, like power, strength, vulnerability, like I was wearing your hat for a while and like I'd just look at it and just like I could really link the strength and vulnerability part and just being able to like have these conversations. Like I've never spoke about this publicly to anyone, but like just with mates and people, like I felt comfortable to tell them, to incite them to be able to talk to me. Like, yeah. 
about what they've experienced and what they are experiencing and just be like, mate, you're, you're not alone. <laughs> like, yeah, this, this happened to me. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And once we establish that we are all in this together and, you know, just because you don't see this friend every week or you don't talk to yeah. him, like he's still there if, if that ever, that situation ever occurs. And I think that's a really powerful thing that, yeah, that you've got. And I think at your age, my, my only advice, and you take this with a grain of salt, is because is, I, I took too much of other people's burdens on uh, and it burned yourself out. But if you, if you find that balance between these deep conversations and then giving yourself the time, to, to rest and process it's it's such a powerful tool and it can give you that purpose and passion mm. that that you, you tend, tend we look we all want and need like we don't we if you live a life to 80 you've got a purpose or passion there's just no doubt about it so mm. and on that too the um yeah just like those deep and meaningful conversations that do come out when blokes are 15 beers deep are the ones that we we need to start having now when <laughs> you're just sitting around, like, just in general. So, so and it's, it's a really valid point. And I think, I guess, on that, like, maybe we don't have 15 beers. Maybe we have, we sort of have two or three. We, yeah. And we work our way. Like, if it is that uncomfortable for people, because that is, it's because they're not comfortable. It's because they're, they're scared and they're taking the easy option. The hard option is to sit there with a mate and have a cup of coffee and, um, put your put your heart and soul on the line, I guess. And so, if you if you need to have two beers, you know, have two beers uh, yeah. just to break that that edge. But um, probably shouldn't be. I'm not going to go <laughs> yeah. drink. But like, if that's if you're at 15 beers to be able to open up to someone, you know, start working on stepping that back and 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 don't doesn't have to be to a person you don't know. It can be to you. True, truly best friend. Yeah, you know, start with your dog if you have to. Like, yeah. lay, lay on the table with the dog sober and get that practice in. Yeah. So, what what else is there to Jack's story in the mental health space? Um, I know. Um, I th- yeah. So I went from from there. So this was last year, twenty twenty. So, was just studying online that through um, COVID, and then it was just over a year ago now. Um, lost uh, one of my probably yeah one of my great mates growing up um, Tice played all our junior footy together and uh, everything like that just it was absolute like kindest soul that you'd ever meet he was the bloke that he he might have been going through his own things but he'd always see how you were first and just um yeah, he'd always put someone else's well-being before his own and just, yeah, he had this little smile and this cheeky little grin and, yeah, he just could light up um, any sort of room. So, but, yeah, he he died by suicide and um, from there it's sort of just like, like my – I went away where, um, like away from drinking, away from everything, I just – had like two months completely sober and just that's just how I processed it. Like, yeah. Um, and from that I was able to like that two months where I was sober, I had like the, the best mental clarity that I've ever had. And I just experienced like the loss of ties. Um, yeah. And it just from like what we spoke about earlier, where like those thoughts do come into your, Head like some people just are like I can't believe he did it, like I still can't believe he did it. But um, just the the pain that he must have been going through must have been just that that immense. Um, yeah. So from there, I was just in that state where I was just concentrating on fitness and things like that, and that was just my way of grieving and dealing just by running, really. Um, so I've, I've read a little bit about Tyson. I've heard a lot. Like, obviously, it was a pretty big shock to, the, I guess, the Gippsland community, to be honest, from what I gather. And there's been tri- tribute matches and stuff like that. And the Gippsland community is really rallying around the cause, um, which is amazing to see. And 
the reality is that tragedies like these do happen and it's what I know what 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 I love about mindful Oz and the other girls is that it's very proactive and it's teaching the next generation but we need we need both sides at the moment and if something like this does happen you know we can sit in our pity parties and you know not do anything or we can really make an impact and I think what you did is a really profound thing to be able to just go, I need to stop drinking and I need to jump into something which is going to give me purpose and passion because the other, the other option can happen. It does happen is where you start to drink more and you start to go back to gambling and you start to do all these things which have this ripple effect. And it's, I don't even know if I'm going to be stepping on any part of the story or not. Um, might be another person where this happened to, but then you've got a group of people who all start to really, really struggle with mental health and potentially more suicides. So I think what you've done is you've stood up and you've gone, I'm not right. I've got to look after myself now. So I think that's a huge credit to you, but I have a feeling there's more, more to the story. Yeah. It's just, um, with this, like you can, you obviously see the different ways that people can go. Some can just, well, I'm not saying the week after it happened, like it was just a massive bender sort of thing. It just like just got on the pierce and just got around all the, the boys that you haven't seen in so long. But then after that, I just knew that like I had to step away sort of thing from that. And um, I just did like this eight week sort of gym program thing when just focused on that. Um, and I think just after his funeral too, we went straight back into another lockdown. Yeah. So that was, that sort of just put even more on um, some people and um, yeah, just a really difficult time. It was, um, yeah, just fuel. Some people just, yeah, had to turn to like alcohol and just to, to cope and yeah, yeah just it, like you said, that can have a spiraling effect. For, from what I gather, that twice is an amazing person, you know, for you. I mean, how did – how? you don't have to answer any of these questions, like just say if you're not comfortable, but how How did it make you feel? I just – disbelief. Probably still is disbelief. I've, even like now, like last week was a, a year um, since he'd passed and – like we'll just stand around a fire at one of our mates' joints and like we just pretty much all said to each other, like I um, wouldn't be surprised if the fucker just walked around the corner. Like <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's still like disbelief really. Like I can't believe it. it's happened and, yeah, he was such a strong sort of human. Um, yeah. We, and I'm going to – hopefully I'm not jumping, but is, is, is he a big contributor to – you wanting to, I mean, share parts of your story and, mm. um, you know, go on national TV and potentially make a dick of yourself on TV, jumping off, although you've already gone to New Zealand and jumped off stupid things and um, face those fears. But you see a big reason why you, you want to do this and you want to make sure that the message gets out. Yeah, so I signed up for the mindful, like the charity TV global part, um, when I was in that like really good headspace, um, like just where I've been off the pierce and I was just like, yeah, like I want to be able to sort of advocate for mental health, like um, just to, so this, no one else experiences this and by doing something like this and like the TV part, sorry, Tamara, if you listen to this, but like it, that doesn't phase me at all. It was more yeah. about raising funds and just being able to, um, yeah, just really promote like mental health awareness, yeah. um, and that's the that's the biggest thing for me. Like, I don't really care if I go on TV or not. Um, <laughs> it's just, I'm yeah, it's just that message, um, and just hope that no one else has to experience this that our community has. I think, I think basically, I think if we spoke to every single person that was going to be on our episode of the TV, none of us really care about the TV bit. It's 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 having a platform and being able to share stories and create this normality around mental health conversations. And to be honest, they probably won't capture many of those conversations because 
it's going to be about the adventure part and we'll probably get our one-on-one screen time where we get to share snippets. But I think it's these conversations that are just so important because mm. it shows that you can actually talk about it without blaming each other or getting, you know, angry or severely down. Like we can have this, of course, it's upsetting talking about someone who's passed away, but it needs to be talked about. Like it, you can't just, again, we, we don't want to be bottling that stuff up because mm. eventually you're going to, you know, get really angry or resentful and, and people do it and that's their way of managing and um, eventually it becomes unhealthy. But that, and I'm not, I mean, go at them, they, they may not know any better um, at that time. But I think what, you, what you're basically saying, what we're all doing is we just want to put our hands up and say, if anyone, you know, is thinking about this, taking their life or is anyone's very suicidal or depressed and not leaving bed for weeks on end, you know, we've been there. We know people have been there and we, we want you to stand up and talk and um, get help and all of that. Mm. Yeah, that's the message that needs to be sent. And um, I think the mindful of is just, yeah, terrific. And what they are doing in just um, educating the youth because I think education is, so vitally important in this just um just to be able to even to learn how to hold space for someone to have these conversations so um i did the lifeline training as well and the instructor for that she just she said um like you you don't need to fix problems you just need to be there and listen non-judgmentally um she used an expression which sat with me really well because um like through the army thing but um you just have to be able to sit in the mud with someone like just, it doesn't matter what they're going through. Just sit there with them and um, just listen. I love that. You have to be able to sit in them, have to be able to sit in the mud with them. I'm writing it down. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's fantastic. Is what, what else, is there anything else part of, to your story that you want to sort of add um, to the podcast? So that was just the, the main part of like my whole like mental health journey, I guess. And I guess I can say that, but I've never been like diagnosed with any mental ill health. But um, it's just, it just goes to show that everyone does have these thoughts or do have these days, these moments, these things where they just feel like they're not in control of their life and they might do things or experience things that they, they, they're really, really bloody uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> that is just very good point. They are bloody uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, um, yeah, that's, that's the main part for me. Just, and just on the, the back of that, just um, being able to fundraise and um, just work with Paul and um, everyone in the community, like Paul Pratt, that is. Um, because he he pretty much drove me to be able to run a hundred kilometers in three weeks or four weeks, whatever it was. So, we, we, which we will we'll talk on in a second. <laughs> we will we will have a quick chat about that. Um, I do, I do want to like I just wanted to point out like what you I guess what you're saying is you haven't battled mental illness, but you, you've got anxiety and you've had thoughts, and that's I think. So many people out there go, I don't have depression or I don't have anxiety. And it's like, well, we all do, but we don't, we're not diagnosed with these illnesses because they're not illnesses. They're, they're, um, they're natural human emotions that we go through. You know, depression is sadness. It's extreme sadness. It's anxiety is, is fear. You know, we're all fearful of something. That's anxiety. That's so we all have it. And I think once we come to terms with that, we go, oh, hang on a minute, that's, that's anxiety that popped up last week. Mm. Oh, okay, now I know how to get past it. But when we say, oh, I don't have anxiety, well, how are you going to get past those things you are afraid of? Because we're all afraid of something. I've never met a human that's not afraid of something. I had this, um, <clears throat> we brought up New Zealand before and um, when I did that bungee, it was like the first like few seconds I was like it was just adrenaline and you're just falling and then I was still falling and I was just like fuck like so like scared like fuck and then I was like I'm still falling here and then <laughs> I started bouncing and I just had this like it was just I don't even know why it came into my head but it was just this thought and it's just like 
And I, I was saying it like out loud because no one can hear you there. You can scream, you can do, say whatever you want. But I was like, I don't want to die. And it was just, yeah. I don't know why that thought came into my head, but it was just like extremely vulnerable, I guess, <laughs> just hanging there like that. It was just like, yeah, that thought came to my head. And I think it must have for a reason. But, um, and it's it's amazing you say that. And it, it, I watched, um, obviously, Mad Jack Dawes got his book out now. And I mm. really got his book. Um, I'm trying to get him on the podcast. I, I don't like my chances. But um, he did an interview with Waleed Ali. And it's so common. And, I mean, we're, just, we're not talking about bungee jumping, but we're talking about jumping off something. Yeah. Those thoughts go through people's minds. Anyone that's basically anyone that survived that occurrence has said that their first thought was, I don't want to die once they've mm. jumped. And that's just so powerful in itself because, and I, I think I'm not sure who I, I've asked many people this, but, and you, I guess, wouldn't have experienced this, but people don't want to die. They don't want the pain anymore of what they're feeling. It's not they want to die. They actually love a lot of things, but there's they're just in so much pain. Um, so instead of we've got to look at it as let's, how do we help someone get rid of this pain? How do we help? And, and with pain, with physical or mental pain, sometimes it's just sitting there and allowing this person, as you said, to hold that space, you know, um, giving something time to heal, you know, with a physical injury, you can't, you don't just step on it, your leg after you've broken it. You've got to give it time to physically mm. heal. It's the same with anything that we go through emotionally or mentally. We need sometimes to just give it time. And I think that's essentially what you did after Ty's passed away. You just gave yourself time to you held you you held your own space to actually go. I need I need my own time here. If I throw myself into twenty four hours a day drinking two nights, three nights a week, and then repeating that cycle, you're not actually giving yourself time. No. No, sort of, it would clear out everything, like for me personally, if I was to do that. And, yeah, I think that mental clarity was like what I needed, um, like to process that um, after that had occurred. So. so I do want to touch on this run, 100K run. So you, you thought... It was a good idea to run 100 kilometres straight or did you get sucked into it? Um, I kind of, I did. So I had been running like um, for like eight weeks before that. I <clears throat> did a marathon with my mum who was 60, or is 60, probably 61 now. But um, yeah. yeah, so she ran that. So I ran that with her um, and it was pretty much like if she can do it, I can do it. So. Yeah. Um, amazing achievement by her. Oh, huge. And, um, That's... <laughs> and then after that, I just sort of kept running like smaller runs, like 10Ks and that. And then uh, Paul and I would do these runs like on a Saturday morning, just down at Jeff White Track. And then he mentioned that he was going to do this 100-kilometer run to raise money for Mindful Oz. And I was like, fire out. That's hectic. Like, I can't believe you're going to do that. And then it was later that Arvo, I rang him and I said, if you're going to do it, like, let's make this big and I'll – have a crack at it too. So then after that, we, I think it was two weeks before the run, or well, it was three weeks, I had preparation for it, got off the drink again. And um, two weeks before the run, ran a marathon with Paul and he's like, yeah, I reckon you'll be able to do it sort of thing. I was like, yo, I'm only going to run two and a half of these. So yeah, it was just, yeah, a huge day. Uh, did you ever feel like giving up on the day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was about 70 kilometres. I, I felt like my calf was about to just give up. And, um, like, the whole running community was there because um, Paul's such a – he's a gun runner. Yeah, um, he is. Yeah. He, just, I, he, he forgot it. his name in one of the podcasts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he just loves it. So um, he had a lot of people who are able to run, like, extremely well there. And um, I'm pretty sure his name was Gines. He sort of pulled me to the side and he's like, mate, like, this is the wall. This is what this is what people talk about. Like you're there. Yeah. So he he I got off like I left the track and I'm like, Paul, just keep going, like I'm gonna slow you down and stuff. And then Gines sort of got me back on the track and we walked a lap and then just started slowly jogging again for another thirty kilometers. <laughs> so I love it. I just rolls off the tongue. I just started slowly jogging again yeah. thirty kilometers. Like Yeah. Um, I was 
yeah, it was painful, but like in that as well and sort of leading up to that run, like um, just through like playing footy with Tyson, everything like that, I, he was fit as, fit as fuck. Like I, there's no way known that I could ever catch Tyson. So I, I could picture him like 20, 30 metres in front of me and like I'd just be chasing him. Yeah. I'll always be chasing him. So, um, yeah. Jeez, it's, uh, that's pretty powerful, that. that just mm. kind of my heart just sort of like went because I I use my imagination, so I'm actually picturing you running with him in front mm. of you. I think that's a yeah, very powerful thing. And, you know, I think it, it proves, again, and I just uh, – People may have listened to the podcast with Andrew Maloney and I hope people go, if they haven't, go back to it. But, you know, what you've basically described is, is what he talks about as well. You know, there's got to be a purpose, there's got to be a passion with with anything like that. Like you can't just run 100 kilometres without having something that you're, you're doing it for. People don't just get up and do it. And I'll be honest, like, and I think the running community would probably say it, you probably didn't have enough training. No, there's no way. So, like, but you still got it done. And it's because there's there a reason, there's a purpose, mm. there's a passion. I think if we can establish one thing through this whole podcast, basically, is that anytime you've had purpose or passion, which is aligned with who you are, you, you flourish and you, you achieve things. And I think that's not something that's just a Jack Symes thing. That's, a, that's an every human thing. When we align ourselves with things we are passionate and purposeful about, we achieve things. And we and all of a sudden money isn't an issue and, um, you know, our ego doesn't pop up and all that. We, we live and we flourish and we, we live in the moment a lot more. Um, but I will, I'm, I'm assuming after the 100Ks you're in a lot of physical pain. Yeah, I, think I, I don't think I ran for like a month, three weeks at least. I was, yeah, I was cooked. I was, <laughs> Um, I, I haven't got any more questions for you. Is there anything you'd like to add before we get into your favourite quote? Um, no, not really. Just um, anyone who is listening probably wouldn't have known a lot of this about me. So just, yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> and if if anyone is listening and wants to reach out to Jack or myself, I'm sure we'd be happy to answer any questions or any messages and I think Jax, you've you've said it perfectly that no one out there listening is alone. We all we all go th- we all will pinch I'll pinch the quote from before, but we all we all we're all in the mud at some point in our life. Mm. Um what how deep the mud is will vary, but we all go through muddy patches. Um so we all need to be able to sit with someone in the mud. We need to be able to get ourselves out of the mud as well. So um what is your favourite quote? And I know Jasmine stole your quote, so you're going to your second best. Yeah. So the number one was like, they who say they can and they who say they can't are both usually right. And that was going through my head as well when I was running that 100 kilometres um, just to motivate myself and keep going. Um, but the other one I've come up with is um, at any moment, you need to be willing to sacrifice who you are for who you will become. So I think it's... That you can look into that in a lot of different ways, but um, yeah, and that's what Eric Thomas. Yeah, Eric Thomas, yeah. it is. I love it. I'm not even going to explain it to people because people will interpret however they want to. And I think with something quite like that, there's just so many ways you can interpret it. It's a very, very powerful and deep one. Um, thanks, Jack, for jumping on podcast with me i really do appreciate and um it will definitely help a lot of people out um, because what you've basically established is there's there's a mental health spectrum and we all need to look after our our own mental health at points um in times in our lives and i hope that you can continue to to flourish and live with purpose and passion i'm sure you will and i look forward to potentially getting on this trip this year with you um, and talking more. Yeah, we'll definitely see how we go on that one. We'll have to keep holding our breath, I think. But um, thanks for having me on. It's yeah, it's been a it's been an experience for me, that's for sure. But um, hopefully, hopefully, it can help some people out there. So yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to Power, Strength, and Vulnerability, the Mental Health Podcast. 
If anything in this podcast has brought up difficult feelings, please call Lifeline on 13-1144. For any further information, or if you want to bring your story to life, contact Shane at Shane at vitalityfit.com.au. That's V-I-T-A-L-I-T-Y-F-I-T-T dot com dot A-U.